1: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Assistant Director here at the Hendricks Center, and today we're going to be discussing ministering in an anxious world. And we are joined by Ronnie Martin, who is the lead pastor at Substance Church and the co-host of the Art of Pastoring podcast. Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
1: So first, I think just to kind of get started. So we're going to be talking about ministry and ministering and being a pastor and all of the things in the midst of an anxious world. And for anybody listening or watching That is um, surprised that we might be talking about an anxious world. They must have been like some of the people who were on the island, like (laughs) like, by themselves for the last three years. (laughs) So I think we all know about the anxious world. But but first, let's get to know you a little bit, Ronnie. Um, let's first hear about like how did you get involved in ministry and pastory, like the pastoral ministry and ministry in general? How did you end up kind of in this space?
2: Yeah, gosh, that's always an interesting question. Um, like a lot of guys, you know, a lot of men and women, um, the path was very windy. and it's almost hard to make sense of it now because God mm-hmm. has this really unique way of, you know not using a template to get people. You know, into that into that call to ministry. So for me, it was a long time ago at this point, but I kind of came in from the music side of it, um, really? the worship side of it, huh, and okay. being involved um, a little more on the creative end of it in that sense. Um, before I just slowly, the Lord, you know, grew me in that ministry, and then eventually grew me out of that ministry, and and gave me a desire for church planting, and preaching, and, and pastoring. And so uh, it's, been, it's been a couple of decades now process. And so currently, are we still on the call here? hmm Oh, okay. I can still hear you. Um, You're I'm
1: fine.
2: At a frozen window. Yeah, so what I'm doing right now is um, I am, I'm the pastor of Substance Church uh, in Ashland, Ohio, which is right in between Cleveland and Columbus. And um, so uh, planted that church almost a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're also working with a church planting network called Harbor Network. So I do, I do kind of pastoral care, leader renewal, ministry, pastoring other pastors, kind of ministry with Harbor. And um, so I'm just, I'm really, um, I'm doing a lot in terms of ministering to other pastors, ministering to a local congregation, and all the stuff that that contains in between. So yeah. So
1: how did you make that step from? What what was it that you felt or you know? What happened in the midst of your music ministry that made you realize, you know, I think the Lord is calling me to step into more congregational leadership?
2: You know, I, part of it is that I was not really a great—I was a lousy worship leader. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're humble. That's a good—that's
1: a good thing well, too. Well, <laughs> yeah,
2: I—I uh, I had done—I—I had come up through the music industry doing a lot of my own music. And and I think when I got into worship ministry, it's 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 very different. And I just I I always struggled with it. I I was never very good at it. Um, but I was always uh, you know I always had a heart for the word. I always had a heart for communication. And the parts I enjoyed the most in worship ministry were those moments in between the songs hmm. when you communicate um, you know with the congregation a little bit more. And so it really started off as simple as that, just realizing, I don't think this is going to be long-term for me. There's so many more gifted women and men that can do this than me. And I re- at some point, I just got a, a really, um, just a a desire for preaching and then got opportunities to start doing that. And before I knew it, uh, it just seemed like the most obvious next step.
1: Hmm. So how did you end up pastoring pastors? So you went from... Being a worship pastor to a lead pastor, and you know, a teaching pastor, and then you ended up working even further with pastoring pastors. And how did you end up doing that?
2: Yeah, I you know, I, I started my church planting journey a little bit older than a lot of guys. So I was in my my early forties um, when that when that began, and I got connected with a church planting network, like I said, called Harbor, mm-hmm. very early on when we were planting and i think it was just a, a case of having had ministry experience being older you know a good decade mm-hmm. or so older than a lot of uh, the younger people that were coming in planting and then just being utilized in in that you know from a from, from just a ministry you know kind of functionality standpoint when, hey these guys could use somebody to sit down and talk with them and mm-hmm. help them through you know, some you know some uh, some all the various details that goes into church planting and, um, and I think it just happened and grew organically from that. And it really became a just a, a passion of mine, too. I love sitting down with younger leaders and um, just kind of hearing where they're at and being able to listen, being able to maybe offer just, you know, I don't know, a kernel of wisdom, which is about the extent of what I have. <laughs> and uh, see if it helps, see if it benefits them. And so the Lord has given me some opportunities to do that. And it's been been really fun. Hmm.
1: So in the last... You know, I joked earlier about living on an island in the last three years. But I mean, I think we may have said before 2019, I think we all may have said, oh, yeah, you know, like we live in a stressful world or we live in an anxious world. (laughs) And then, you know, um, the tsunami hit and (laughs) we all really realized what it is to at least another step in living in an anxious world. So I'm assuming in the midst of your ministry, with Pastoring Pastors, you've had to like start to really think about how to help and I mean, you yourself, but also help others like think about ministering in the midst of such an anxious culture and an anxious environment, anxious congregations. So like, tell me a little bit about what your journey has been in that in the last three years or so, you know, how, what have you been thinking through? What have you seen? You know, just walk me through what that's looked like, especially with regard to like pastoring the pastors in the midst of it.
2: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting the way you even frame that, because if you go back a few years, if you go back pre-COVID, you know, pastors have always struggled with anxiety (laughs) and it it comes with the job. And it's I think it's one of the high components of the job for sure. Um, But I would say the majority of the conversations three years ago would have been uh, you know, having conversations with pastors about how to minister to people in their congregations that are struggling with anxiety. Mm. The big shift now is, hey, I don't, need, I don't need you to help me with the guy. You know, five rows back. You know, three seats in. You know, and, and I don't, I don't need help ministering to him for his anxiety. I'm the one that is struggling so bad right now. How do I deal with this level of anxiety because it's hit a ceiling. It's at a fever pitch. And the conversations, the conversations that, you know, really surfaced, I think, in the last three years for many pastors, and I think the stats prove this out, is do I even want to continue doing this? The The pressure and the stress and the anxiety is so high right now. Um, it's nothing that I anticipated, because, of course, nobody anticipated a global pandemic. Yeah. And then how, how to go about doing our, our jobs, you know, with, with, hap- with needing to have all kinds of answers for issues and topics and and things that we've never given more than 21 seconds of thought to with that. And I think that that's been the major shift is just pastors really struggling and just losing their their foot in in that whole in that whole arena. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So let's let's dig a little bit into that anxious world that we're talking about. Um I think perhaps first, more than anything, it would be helpful. You know, we've already thrown the word around quite a bit. When we, when we are talking, this is the classic, like, academic. <laughs> if we're using the word anxiety, what exactly are we saying? <laughs> but I think right. it is relevant because it's a really popular word, especially in our mindfulness culture. And, you know, everybody, you know, talks about their anxiety and all of that. But what do what, do, what are we meaning, you and I? When we use the word anxiety,
2: yeah, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I, w- the way that the way that I process the word and the way that I see it played out in real time, it seems to be when you are faced with circumstances of which you have no control over, and they seem all-encompassing, and they actually now are shaping, you know, both the inner culture and the outer culture of your day-to-day life. Hmm. And um, there's probably way better ways to define that. Um, But talking about it from a pastoral standpoint, I think what you've seen happen in the last three years is from an intellectual standpoint or from a biblical standpoint, we believe that control is illusory. We we know that we really, at the end of the day, don't have a lot—we have some self-control over the way that we respond and react to things, but control in terms of sovereignty of God-level control and how the world is working itself out, we know we don't have any control over that. And I think what the last three years have done has pulled the the rug out from under us about the things that we would say we didn't have control over, but hmm. it we presented itself as as truly not having control over those things. And by things, we probably more specifically mean people and people saying things and doing things and behaving in particular ways that really adversely affected our lives and our vocations. And the fact that um it happened at a at a rate and a speed that we had no idea was gonna was was gonna, you know, come to that come to that particular rate and speed. I think it made it all the more difficult to even try to understand what was going on. And so that leads to, you know, heart rates that are through the roof. It leads to lack of sleep. It leads to all these physical realities and emotional realities that um, just completely affect you from a holistic standpoint, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just going along with what you're saying, I think like, Not only it it, it affected, you know, like the relationships and the people, you know, like the assumptions we thought we had about that, but even, you know, whether or not we actually would have ever admitted (laughs) feeling like we had control over, you know, disease and, you know, health and all of that. I think, I mean, certainly given all of the reactions to everything that has happened, you know, I think We, we, we thought we could control that too, you know, through science and all of that. And obviously we, you know, have breakthroughs and all of that in lots of areas. But I think that's another place where we assumed that we had control. And then lo and behold, you know, that rug is ripped out from under you too. And that leaves you reeling, you know, when a lot of these things that you felt like were solid ground that you were standing on, you realize, you know, No, they were just, you know, inflatable mattresses on a pool and you were really balanced.
2: (laughs) That's a great way to put it. That's really good. Yeah. And I think it was even, I mean, to your point, it was so interesting. We all remember this, you know, whatever, you know, mid-March, March March 15th, when Mm. you know, around the, the nation, around the world. It's like, okay, this is the thing. And I re- and you remember this when everybody said, just give it a couple of weeks, yeah. everything's going to be back to normal. And um, so even, in, even the way you're describing that, which is to say, we got this, we can handle this, we can find a way, and it's not going to be long, and it's not going to be inconvenient. It'll maybe be inconvenient in the moment, but, but there are people, you know, it's the big they word, they're going to find a solution, and we can depend on that, and we can trust them, and that, of course, all. You know, and we
1: realized there was no they. It was just a bunch of other broken people. And that's okay. You know, but it's just a bunch of people doing the absolute best that they could and working as hard as they could. But lo and behold, you know, we're just human and we found out what that really means, you know, and yeah. So yeah. let's um to make this even more depressing and horrible, uh, before <laughs> we get into how to minister in the midst of it. <laughs> um so, like, let's talk a little bit about uh, what does an anxious world look like? So, and the reason I think that that's a helpful question to talk about here is I think sometimes, you know, we're, we're really quick to jump to the individual, you know, and I like I even joked with the mindfulness culture, it, we're, we're quick to jump to our own anxiety and, you know, recognizing that. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that our our culture, our world right now is is in the same place that we individuals are, you know, and that there are certain symptoms that we see that if you really trace them down, it comes, you know, it's founded in this, this underlying anxiety. So what would you say are some of those, those symptoms? Are they say, are they the same symptoms of a person who has anxiety or, you know, like what are we seeing on a more corporate scale that we can look at and say, you know what, it, it looks like, you know, we're fighting or whatever, but really it's just anxiety underlying this. What are your thoughts in that area?
2: Yeah, that is such a, re- that's a really good, that's a really good question. I, I think, you know, I think when we think about an anxious world, um, it, again, I, I'm probably going to use the word control a lot, but I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a world that is, is, um, is, Is fighting for control that Mm. it's not meant to have um, because that is not the way god intended the world to operate and that's not the way he intended his creatures um to to know him and to be known by him and so i think an anxious world is a world that is is fighting for something that it will never gain any grip um around and then Responding to that, and more than responding to that, really reacting to that in ways that promote self interest over love of neighbor. Mm-hmm. And again, that's so when we think of the Christian ethic in an anxiety ridden world, the Christian ethic would be well, how can I lay down my life? How can I help you? How can I love you the way that Christ has loved me? How can I look to the good and the benefit of you through something that is very difficult? And I think you see pockets of that, obviously, in the world and how they respond and how they react. For sure. We don't want to paint it, you know, too far one way. But I think at the end of the day, it, it's uh, an anxious world. You're, you're, the, the result of that or the symptoms of that is going to be an increasing level of self-interest um, that puts other people at at risk so that you can retain the level of control that you feel like you're losing.
1: Hmm fascinating yeah my I was in a conversation the other day with someone and they said you know what do you think are you know two or three of the major misunderstanding like theological misunderstandings in the church you know so nothing nothing small um (laughs) with regard to the question but I one of my my answer like the first two were that I think we have a misunderstanding of of fear and anger and that fear and anger are driving so many things right now, and yeah. um, and to a degree, some of us in the church think that fear and anger of certain things is legitimate. But like you said, like there is a strong line, you know, theme in scripture of. You, I mean, obviously, there are certain circumstances where anger is okay, but but because God can also, God is also angry, but but there is a strong line uh, and theme of, you know, like this is not about me, and this is not about us, and it is not necessarily about our best interest, and and the reason we know that is because Jesus, you know, abandoned, not abandoned. Oh goodness. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, he humbled himself and he came down, and he was willing to not be in the most comfortable situation and to not be, you know, getting the things that he deserved. And that is who we are called to follow. And the fact that we, you know, think that we should have control and we should have comfort and all of those things, you know, we're we're missing out on it um one other quick question about anxious world so there have been anxious times in the past so you know like world war ii world war one you know the spanish flu we can point to other times what do you think if anything i really don't know um what do you think is different now about the anxiety that we're facing on a on a corporate global scale or is there anything different?
2: Well, yeah, I think, you know, there's probably things that are s- similar because, you know, when you get down to some foundational levels of things, things can't be different because we're humans and mm-hmm. that has never. Um, I do think I do think what would be different now is um, and this is maybe th- the easiest and simplest way to think about it is that the way information is exchanged mm-hmm. now. Um, It just you didn't see that 100 years ago. You didn't see that 25 years ago, practically. And so I think the level of information sharing and and I think the access to it and I think the 24 hour, uh, you know, uh, nature of it, I think it it doesn't really uh, it doesn't allow people to settle on a particular truth that is agreed upon by the majority anymore. Um, and it allows you to find a particular truth, whether it's true or not, that suits your level of comfort, your level of belief, your level of philosophy in life. And you can run with that, um, whether it's true or not, or whether it has components of truth. Um, but then what that does is it creates dissonance now, um, because if anybody even has a slightly different you know, mm-hmm. take or a different version of it, um, we're not very good at finding common ground, I think. And I think there's an overload of information now that makes it very difficult to say, hey, you know what, I, th- I think we're thinking more alike on this than we are, you know, um, having differences. But we're, we're not operating now in mediums in which that is an easy thing to do in the moment. You know, Twitter's not a, not a great place to have great discussions. <laughs> you
1: know. To sit down uh, in.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. And so... I would say that to me is that that to me, it seems to be the, I mean, on a very basic level, um, that, that seems to be a pretty big factor.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I, I feel like the, then just the pure amount of information too, you know, not only the ways in which it, it's distributed, you know, through social media and that kind of thing, but just the, I mean, just the overwhelming amount i can find out about something tragic or unjust that happened in some backwoods town in australia in 2 seconds you know yeah. and and so it's almost like it allows our feelings and our anxieties to reach this certain fever pitch and then it never lets up like because all of these things are constantly available and put <clears> before us and so we can never you know I mean it, back in the old days you know they'd have newsreels or something so you might see it on a Friday night but then you wouldn't know very much beyond you know a couple newspaper articles until whenever the next newsreel came out you know yeah. <laughs> and so yeah and so you were able to still kind of go back to your normal life but here it's just always before us and so I think I think there is a level of anxiety present, um, like perpetually present in a way that perhaps it it wasn't, you know, I wasn't there in 1940, so I'm not 100% sure, but it doesn't seem like it.
0: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. these stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith because once you see these connections you can't unsee them god wastes no person place or thing listen and subscribe to holy curiosity with cat armstrong on your favorite podcast platform
2: yeah and i think and i think that brings you know especially so i think the burden then for the church Um, then becomes wisdom it becomes Mm. it becomes of wisdom so um, You know when you're when you are somebody Who has the spirit of Christ in them and you're going into a situation of where that is not present and you don't want to Be an anxious presence to add to all the other anxious presence that's there I think what we've been given in scripture is this opportunity to display wisdom and out of wisdom comes The very things that can cut a knife through an anxious presence which is patience and kindness and self-control and so i think the burden the burden on the church to me in this day when we talk about an anxious world is but are we living out the wisdom that we have because we have the spirit living inside of us and obviously and unfortunately we're not seeing that a lot Mm. you know we're seeing the church react in the way that the world reacts and and now that's creating its own culture, right? At the end of the day,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And it's 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 almost like I don't. And I don't want to imply in any way that anybody having problems with anxiety because I don't know how you couldn't <laughs> in the midst of our current situation. Right. I I think it's also a, a matter of faith. I I, lo- I love what you're saying with wisdom. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I and I think you know, faith and wisdom go hand in hand. And I think it's a matter of, of true faith that like, no, I really recognize that I am not in charge. You know, we were talking about control earlier. I am not the one in control. And, and I refuse to try to be in control. I refuse to play these games to try to be, the voice that is the loudest or the one that results in the most power, I refuse to play this game. And I am, you know, an ambassador for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, his values are my values, regardless of where they fall on either, you know, side of any conversation that we have going on right now. I refuse to act out of fear or anger or anxiety you know i i just i am going to respond with wisdom i'm going to respond with faith you know and i think that that's it's something that's really hard to do i think it's something we don't know how to do but yeah. i do i'm i'm curious do you what else do you see as like the relationship between the gospel and anxiety how does the how does the gospel address anxiety, especially corporate anxiety?
2: Yeah, I think, I, I think it, I think what you just, I think what you just said, you said really well. Um, and I think, um, you know, a Christian is not a person who tries to put a lid and deny anxiety and press down and say, and, you know, go la, 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 it's not there. Um, I mean, that, that would be, that. that is not what the gospel presents us with, right? Is I- ignoring on a holistic level, what we're facing and feeling. All those things are real. We have an entire book called the Psalms, that is people singing out their anxieties. You know, David is singing his anxiety. Um, But I think the idea of presence is so important. And I think, you know, getting back to even spiritual disciplines and saying, Lord, I am an anxious person living in an anxious world, but I'm also representing a kingdom um, that was that, that was that is being built by Jesus, who is the who is the uh, just the the epitome of of, of anti anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, because um, our worldview would tell us that there is not one stray molecule uh, in the universe, right? The Lord has everything under His control, and I I I don't think that there's a magic formula. I think that there is. I think that we have been given biblical precedent when we look in Scripture that says. And you see all these women, you see all these men that are fighting all of the anxiety of their times and their culture, and the ones that found some sense of center and balance. And again, that's why David in the Psalms, I think, is so important, is he acknowledges what's out there. He acknowledges what's stirring in his heart, but he also acknowledges what's greater in his heart than even the stirring, which is God, and just his absolute love, patience, and the steadfastness of his love, which I think is the answer for the anxiety that, again, the, the world can't embrace that because they they don't have a heart to embrace that. But I think we can offer that in ways that will surprise and shock and utterly um, just almost unseat them mm. in a sense, right? I do think we have that. We have the power of the Spirit, which, um, which is all of those fruits that just I think cut a knife through anxiety, even when we're feeling anxious, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I and I feel like the reality is uh, when we're feeling anxious and recognizing all of the anxiety-producing <laughs> realities in our world, yeah. that that is actually necessary for hope. If you yeah, really think about yeah. it, because hope requires you to want something other than you know and to be looking forward and looking to something and so if you don't really have a strong sense of hope and a strong sense of you know looking for the redemption that we need to come if you don't actually recognize what is deeply and horribly broken and and i think that sometimes the church does kind of have a, a tendency to you know stick their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 it's all good. You know, Jesus has got us. And, you know, Jesus wept. <laughs> Jesus recognized like the the hard things that were happening in the world. And, you know, but again, he wasn't like you said, I love that. Like he was the epitome of a non-anxious presence in the midst of it. He refused to be, Pushed or pulled into anything that he, you know, wasn't of his kingdom and wasn't of his will and his plan, and so yeah, we we have to come to the point where we're okay with surrendering that and surrendering to his plan, you know. And that's, I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm talking to myself here. It's not like I'm like, yeah, Yeah, get your act together. (laughs) That's incredibly difficult to do. Yeah,
2: we're just holding up mirrors right now.
1: Yeah, (laughs) right. So, um. So let's. We've been talking a little bit about personal, a little bit about corporate anxiety as we've been, you know, kind of chatting through what, but with regard to ministry is specifically and ministries specifically, how do we tweak existing ministries to address this onslaught of anxiety? And I know some of those tweaks have already been attempted. In the last three years, what have you seen happen? What do you feel like has gone well? Where do we still need work? What are your thoughts on what needs to be done to better minister, to better pastor in the midst of this world that we find ourselves?
2: Yeah, gosh. um, I think one of the things that I've noticed, and I think this is maybe one of the things that COVID really, surfaced is that people are so fragile Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and most of the time when we are connecting with people we just have such a small portion of their story and ministry can have the tendency to want to be like a you know um a fix-it organization you know and if we just here's the book read the book you know here's the three things you should do before you go to bed and when you wake up and if you would just, you know, if you just stop doing this, everything will be great. And I think, um, I think that's informed a, a lot of the, of the ministry culture that you see, you know, I think happening at churches where they, they don't want to— I, I think this idea of presence has been lost a little bit, and maybe COVID has helped us back, where it really is about sitting with people, spending time with people— Listening uh, to their stories, uh, trying to get an understanding of their anxiety. Actually, what is your anxiety? Um, what are the fears um, that you're experiencing? And in, you know, instead of just dropping something quick that you that makes you feel good about you doing your job, I think instead of trying to always find you know um, you know I think answers that. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, could be largely ineffective. I think just being with people and have and, and having people gain a particular kind of understanding about their pastors and their ministry leaders that these are people that care about me. They care about my life. They, they care about the things that I'm going through. They're not just trying to ring me out so that all these things aren't bothering me anymore, so that I won't bother them anymore. And I think if we, I think if we just again, look at the life of Jesus and see the way in which he listened and he spent time and he wasn't hurried, he wasn't trying to get everybody from A to B as quickly as possible, I think we can just learn so much from that. But, um that's the, you know, that's that's the investment of a pastor that maybe has been lost in some pastoral job descriptions these days. I don't know
1: hmm. that's really interesting. The word investment is interesting because i think sometimes i i think it has become so much of a i don't know maybe like I, all i can think of is fast food but i'm actually trying to think of the clothing <laughs> version of it but you know like a yeah yeah you know like a trying to get through things quickly like you're saying they're ringing you out so that everybody's okay and you know moving you along in the line of holiness and righteousness and really it's it's this element of investment that perhaps has been lost in a lot of um, church cultures and and that really needs to be <laughs> rediscovered and that this is a long organic process that you know is going to go through good seasons and bad seasons and you know yeah, I really like investment. What what speaking of that? What what other language do you think is there any language that we should adjust? Things in the church, you know, that now we should or we shouldn't say. What are what are helpful things with regard to anxiety and fear and those kinds of things that need to be said or that need to stop being said?
2: Well, you know, gosh, and I, you know, you might have to delete the whole section. Um, So (laughs) we'll we'll just jump right in. But I think even, you know, um, so I'm I'm ministering in I'm a Southern California transplant into Mid Ohio. Okay, so um, different, little bit of a different culture that I'm ministering in, and um, you know, I think I think a lot I think a lot of fear over faith language. Mm -hmm. I think really. I think it I think it really um presented something um to to the church that on one hand is 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 true on a, on a on one level, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And I think what's what's really unhelpful, and it goes back a little bit to what you just said and what we've been talking about, is it's it's really unhelpful to think that um God's view of sanctification Um, is somehow doing things as fast and as famous as possible and uh, removing um, people's experiences, removing people's level of trauma they've experienced, removing the stories that have either been built into their lives because of their own mistakes or because of the harm that has been done against them through the years and trying trying to eliminate that by saying, hey, if I just... You know if if i just you know if i just if if i just get the coffee mug with the scripture on it and i just you know read it 10 times over and over again in the morning as fast as i can that's somehow going to be the thing that helps alleviate you know all of the worries or all of the things that i don't feel like i want to deal with that take time and i think um we are caught up in that culture of fastness and quickness and girl wash your faceness and let's just do this thing And that is not the mentality of Jesus. Um, That is not the mentality of a Christian life that grows and develops over time, taking into consideration all of the things that affect my faith um, on a daily basis and that are hitting against my faith on a daily basis. And so me putting on a T-shirt that just says fear over faith and saying, yeah, you just go do that, well... That's missing 99% of the story, um, and that's really, really unhelpful for me in terms of wanting to grow deeper um, into um, you know, the life of Jesus. Um, so I, I think a lot of this language is about fixing and fast, and you should know better, and you should forget about the past, and you should ignore these things that are hard for you. Because we have a Jesus that has conquered everything, and that's true. We do have a Jesus that has conquered everything. Um, but He also is doing something in us um, that takes time. And I think we've missed that. So
1: yeah, I mean we have a yeah, we have a Jesus who has conquered everything, but God, who you know, Jesus is one of the three persons, He is also the Creator of the world and of nature. And one of the key things we see in nature is that growth and all of that takes immense amounts of time and you barely even see it happening. And it, it's, you know, it is a long-term investment.
2: (laughs) Well, and I think even, you know, when we go to scripture and I think, you know, you go to Peter and and Peter was always so hurried Mm. and, and Jesus is always, essentially, in some ways, he's slowing Peter down. And he's just saying, stop, Peter. Like, you got to stop. you got to stop stirring. We get to Luke 10, and we get, we get to the story of Martha and Mary. It's, stop, Martha. Like, you're, you're just stirring. You're trying, to, you're trying to gain control. You're trying to find quick solutions to long-term answers that I provide. But you have to slow down to gain it. And that is so hard for us. That is so hard for me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I'm the Martha. I don't want to just slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm, I'm the Peter. I don't want to sit back during the transfiguration and behold this miraculous thing that's going on. I'm like, hey, I'm going to build me some tents. Let's set up camp here. Let's like look around. Let's like make something of this whole thing <laughs> so that we don't lose the moment, right? And, and you have God literally interceding with this voice, basically saying, hey, Pete, um, you need to just actually listen to Jesus, and you just need to slow down. And um, man, I am famously bad at that, and mm-hmm. and we all are. And, and, yeah, but that is and the message. Another, sorry,
1: I was going to say that's another element of our ministry cultures that perhaps needs to shift because yeah, it it's one thing. I mean, it it might be a negative habit to be in <laughs> initially but when you have a a culture and a world and a society that is getting more and more like we were talking about the fever pitch of anxiety then it it starts to try to match that with the fixing plan and it just kind of becomes <laughs> chasing your tail rather than actually doing anything
2: yeah That's a good word. Yeah.
1: So one last thought um How do we, how do we like, this is, bear with me. How do we treat an anxious world um, like as if we were treating a person with anxiety symptoms? Like how do we treat our culture? So this is going a little bit beyond just um, the church, but saying, okay, we as a gospel people, you know, let's say, the Lord is gracious, and the Holy Spirit is working <laughs> deeply in us, and we and we come with wisdom, and we come with faith, and we come um, willing to slow down. What is it that we're actually offering the anxious world, and what is it that we need to be presenting? Does that does that make sense as a question? Yeah, I
2: think <laughs> I think it does. No, I think it does. I think it's a good question too. I, it's I I think the answer you know is that we we do have the peace of jesus to offer an anxious world um Mm -hmm. and i think i think so oftentimes we lack peace and so um we are people that have been given a peace that passes understanding and yet we are we are grappling with the same anxiety that the world is grappling with and so we are entering into situations and we are entering into life with people um offering them um anxiety for their anxiety and mm. um i think that it's very difficult but i think you know again we we start we start breaking this down to spiritual disciplines in some ways right we start talking about what would it look like for me to i only have one day at a time like everybody if i'm given the day what does it look like for me to begin a day with the understanding that I'm susceptible to anxiety as much, if not more, than everybody? I also have a spirit living inside of me that has given me a peculiar and a particular peace um, that is that that can guard me against delivering an anxious presence to another person what would it look like for me to begin my day acknowledging my anxiety but also acknowledging the god who is over my anxiety and who has given me this peculiar peace and what would that look like um, for me in the world to be a person of peace that is offering that um to those around me that i know are battling again the same anxiety but they they may not know Jesus, so then they're not going to know the peace of Jesus. I think when people come into contact with that, I think um, it, it looks like nothing else they've ever seen. It's otherworldly, mm-hmm. and that's why it's supernatural. Um, and I, we have that, so we we have that, and and we access that through through prayer, and we access that through being reminded through God's word that that He is offering us Himself to be that peace. And I think it's just something that has to be so intentional and um for, for believers to say, Hey, I'm I want to be a person that is able to um, come into a room and be the peace um, within the anxiety that is permeating this whole this whole place. Mm-hmm. And I think we have that be if we have Christ for sure.
1: Fascinating. Okay, well, we are out of time. (laughs) I would love to continue to engage. But um, I do want to thank you so much, Ronnie, for joining us and for helping us think through Mm kind of what it means to be in an anxious world and to try to be that peaceful presence and what that might look like. Um, just thank you so much
2: again. For yeah, thank time. you. Thank you so much. I, I learned a lot from, from a lot of the things you said today. So thanks so much.
1: Oh, well, thank yeah. you. And we also want to thank those of you who are watching and listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help us um, be heard by others. And we just ask that you would join us next time when we discuss issues of God and culture for
0: listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.